We are here to talk. And we're glad we're here to talk on this Wednesday, 21st day of February. Welcome into Focus with Paul W. Smith. Pleasure being with you. There is something shooting through the radio station, some kind of schmutz. I know I had it weeks ago, but they didn't get it from me because I wasn't there. But it's affecting a lot of people. Dave Rieger, who has the constitution of a horse, is not sick. You're not sick. Is that right, David? Uh, Yes, I'm not sick. Knock on wood, yes. Okay. And you have a pretty strong constitution. I would say so. Well, let me put it this way. You believe strongly in the Constitution of the United States? Yes. Okay, just checking. Danielle Mason, unfortunately, is still sick. And Brian Morton, who was on the injured reserve list, came in anyway because he's in management, and that's what managers do. So be careful what you hope for or what you wish for, because when you're a manager, you come in even when you're sick. Are you feeling any better, Brian? A little. I'm getting there. Oh, I can hear it in your nose. I can hear it in your voice. All right. Well, I hope you feel better. And then Rich Luzinski, our WJR traffic and weather first, as we are all on our way to making each and every day count because, well, because each day is indeed a gift. There's a lot going on in our world, uh, taking the the helicopter view, not just for Detroit or Michigan. Of course, Michigan is in the hopper with the Tuesday uh, election coming up, the primary. And the Republican presidential candidate, as we mentioned yesterday, Nikki Haley, yesterday reiterated her plans to stay in the 2024 race, no matter how badly she gets beaten each time. That's uh, just days ahead of the South Carolina primary, then our primary Tuesday. And she says she's going to keep going. She wants to go through Super Tuesday. Now, she's playing the odds here that something is going to happen to Trump one way or another. What do you think about that, uh, Rieger? Do you think she's playing the odds correctly? I mean, why not stay in? There's nobody else anyway, or what? I think uh, probably if it was me um, looking at the situation, probably would just call it a day. You would. Well, that's interesting. When you grow up one day wanting to be president of the United States, it's a pretty strong urge. And it probably takes a lot to get you to change your mind. True. Sometimes uh, sometimes uh, in these type of things, as I like to say, sometimes you just got to take your medicine. <laughs> uh, Kim, is there anything on there? Nothing's come through? Oh, well, then. My printer is now acting up. That would be uh, perfect timing for this day. All right. Um, sometimes you have to take your medicine is right, but what about this? You know, she's playing all the odds. What if something happens and Donald Trump has to drop out or is in jail or whatever else might be happening? What then? I mean, here's the question I saw, it, I think, in one of the newspapers today. What happens if either one of them drop out? What's what's the plan for the country? That's a great question. Because, you know, we're dealing with uh, an 81, 82-year-old, a 77-year-old. God forbid anything happened to either one of them, but it is uh, realistically a possibility. And when you look at our former president, uh, whose leadership pack 
according to a Tuesday filing, uh, has paid out nearly $3 million just to law firms last month as his legal uh, troubles have mounted, with the uh, the president also racking up an additional $1.9 million in unpaid legal bills at the end of January. It's not, it's not pretty. And all of this could uh, blow up at one point or another. I mean, I guess you could look at it from Trump's point of view that he's kind of doing the same thing. He's playing the odds, too. So, you know, so he and he's obviously got the lead and he's staying in. Uh, so maybe you have a good point. Well, I don't know what uh, you know. I'm just guessing. I have no real insight. We've never had a situation like this that I recall. And so it'll be yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch at this point. I mean, not in my lifetime has I have I ever seen anything like what's gone on over the past couple of elections here. Uh, it's just it's craziness. It is indeed a craziness, and uh, that's really the best way uh, to put it at this point. Uh, speaking of crazy, uh, I'll get off the political thing in just a moment. But President Biden has announced another round of student debt relief. Uh, this is part of the Biden re-election campaign, no doubt. Uh, the White House has announced the approval of $1.2 billion in student debt cancellation for more than 150,000 voters, uh, borrowers currently enrolled in a new pre-repayment plan known as You Don't Have to Pay Back, We'll Put It on the Backs of the Working Taxpayers. Well, that's not what they really call it. What do they call it? Oh, it's a <laughs> it's a new repayment plan known as save. <laughs> save. Put it on somebody else. The regular hardworking taxpayers. By the way, I saw it again in our morning paper, you know, the working people. I am so sick and tired of such a foolish name for only certain working people. That's what they should say, for certain working people. Because I don't know about you, but I'm working every day. I know Dave is working every day. Brian is working every day. Danielle, when she's not sick, is working every day. I mean, all of us work every day. We're all working people. Stop it, for God's sakes. You're not getting any... Well, anyway. All right, so nearly $138 billion of federal student loan debt has been canceled so that the president can be assured as best as possible that these people will thank him profusely by voting for him. And as far as all of the immigrants, migrants that are coming into the country, as soon as they can teach them how to vote, they will vote and they see them as part of the Biden re-election campaign as well. I do not believe that President Biden will be uh, reelected for a second term. So uh, that's where we are on that. Uh, if we can get away with no more politics, that'd be great. Is that possible? Of course it's not possible. You know, the, um, the credit card, the Discover card, are you familiar with the Discover card, Dave? Yeah. They are the quietest, and I thought, least uh, important credit card. But that is apparently not how Capital One has looked at them because Capital One is acquiring the Discover Financial Services in a $35 billion deal that could disrupt the credit card industry. That is not an insignificant amount of money 
So Discover was a heck of a lot better than I ever knew. Discover is, is one. A- Discover is one of those cards that a lot of the merchants don't like to accept, kind of like American Express, because of the, uh, oh, the charges, the, the fees that they have to incur for uh, for being able to accept the card. I didn't know that. I thought they wouldn't want to accept it because they weren't familiar with it. Because you never see it. No, it's one of those. Uh, it was. It's, it was always discovered American Express that were the ones that you sometimes you could. Uh, if you were going to go to a place, they would say we don't accept it because you know obviously because the fees were too much. Right, and if you go overseas now, sadly, they're not real happy to get. In fact, many people overseas. Let me make it simple. Many people in foreign countries at companies don't accept American Express anymore. Which Astonishingly, is, which is kind of crazy, also. Yeah, it is. And you also want to make sure you use a credit card overseas that doesn't charge you a fee to do the transaction because it's foreign currency. And American Express is one of them that doesn't charge, but you may not be able to use it. So anyway, quick note here. It doesn't get any crazier than this. Maybe it will, though. A Spanish artist is making AI and marriage history. Did you see this? Alicia Framus is said to become the first person to marry a hologram generated by artificial intelligence. She says she's going to use the marriage to explore the complexities of relationships and the impact AI could have on emotions. Does it get any crazier than that, marrying a hologram? hologram? No, it does not. Wait until they get to divorce court. And the hologram wants to pay her in hologram money. Maybe the hologram know. will pay in Bitcoin. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> worthless worthless Bitcoin. Sec, some Dogecoin for you. <laughs> That's a good point. Well done, Mr. Rieger. We're underway, folks. We're uh, in the middle of the week. Some call it hump day, Wednesday. On our way this 21st of February. It's Focus with Paul W. Smith. Great to be with you. Well, here we go. We're checking in with Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor extraordinaire Jonathan Savage as this uh, Israel-Hamas war uh, with the U.S. pushing for temporary Gaza ceasefire at the U.N., the U.N. Security Council. The U.S. vetoed a resolution introduced by Algeria calling for a full ceasefire, the third such veto by Washington since the war began, and it's going to cost uh, President Biden in places... Well, especially like our great state of Michigan. Uh, Be that as it may, let's get the very latest and what we know with Jonathan Savage. Good good afternoon, I mean. Jonathan? Hello. Good afternoon to you. You uh, are following this, and uh, it's not buying uh, President Biden any, uh, any good fortune, especially in Michigan, especially very specifically in Dearborn, Michigan. So we've got the U.S. vetoing a U.N. Security Council vote on a resolution calling for an immediate end to the war in Gaza. And then we watch uh, as these countless thousands of people die. And in many cases, needlessly, just because they can't get food or the food can't get to them. Why, why is the food still a problem getting to the people? Yes, well, we're hearing from the World Food Programme. Um, they have been carrying out what they describe as life-saving food deliveries to northern Gaza. Now, in northern Gaza, that's where the the ground war really started. Israel said to the 1.1 million Palestinians there, get out of there. Most of them did, but several hundred thousand chose to stay because they they felt that they, they didn't want to leave their homes or they couldn't because they were encircled by Israeli troops. But now the World Food Programme 
said that there is complete chaos and violence due to the collapse of civil order. And that is why they are pausing their food deliveries to northern Gaza. So that's just a snapshot of how hard aid agencies are finding it to get food and medicine to people in need. Well, we're looking at uh, in, in, in Gaza alone since the war began uh, that was started by Hamas. Uh, nearly 30,000 people have been killed, and one in six children uh, are going to die either through malnutrition or through bombing and the war. In fact, the, the Gaza Strip is said to poise to witness an explosion in preventable child deaths. This from UNICEF. Uh, because of the devastated uh, world that they live in, that they have nothing to do with these problems, and yet they're paying a horrific price. And according to the uh, report by the Global Nutrition Cluster, more than 90% of children under five in Gaza eat to two or fewer food groups a day, which is uh, considered, by our high standards, severe food poverty. This is a mm. this is an issue, and the world is at the moment standing by and watching. I think that some people in the world would would disagree with you, Paul. Um, they would say the people who, for example, put forward this motion to the UN Security Council yesterday, calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza, would say that they. Uh, are, are doing all they can for the, the Palestinians, for the children, to, to end the fighting, to allow wide-scale aid and rebuilding of Gaza. Now, of course, Israel's point of view is that they have to defend themselves. They have to bring this war to its conclusion in the only way which satisfies their need for security, the only way which prevents the horrors of October 7th happening again. But there is a real international uh, consensus, really, I mean, this, there was 15 members of the U.N. Security Council. 13 voted for an immediate ceasefire. Right, you know, here's the only my country... mistake. Wait a minute. I made a mistake. My mistake was very American of me. That's <laughs> like how we have the World Series and we don't invite any other countries to participate. I just said yeah. the world is standing by. And what I really meant was we are standing by. The United States, us, U.S., mm. are standing by. You're absolutely right. The rest of the world is calling, well, without delving too deeply into anti-Semitism and all the other stuff that goes into anything that has to do with Israel, the reality is we are preventing the ceasefire deaths and the ceasefire that lets food get in to help these children. So forget, I, I use the American view of the world. It's us, U.S., America, that is standing by and watching these kids die and... I think people are very upset about it. I think people are very upset about it. You look at protests on the, the streets of London um, in, in recent months, people are, are saying the UK and the US and their uh, support for Israel to a greater or lesser, lesser extent uh, are, are culpable for what has happened in, in Gaza. Um, and, you know, the, the point of view for the US government from Israel is that, look, if, if we voted for an immediate ceasefire with no conditions, then Hamas would still have 100 hostages. They'd still have the, the bodies of several dozen hostages and no reason to return them. Um, Israel say, yes, we want, uh, we want the hostages back. Uh, we want to defeat Hamas. And these are the twin goals. And neither of these can be achieved by an immediate ceasefire. That's their point of view. Well, and, and my 
point of view, not being an expert, mm-hmm. but I, I don't see how you defeat Hamas in the end. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's a people that you can look at, identify by uniform or by anything else and say, oh, that's Hamas. The, Hamas will get replaced. As Hamas people die, more people say, power to Hamas, I want to be there. Uh, I can't believe Israel did this to us because they are trained and educated poorly to hate Israel no matter what. And they certainly haven't taken any responsibility for the fact that Hamas brought this upon uh, the Palestinians without question. And there's no question, too, that Hamas knew what Israel would do. I mean, these are like the these are like the numbers they play with. They're very upset because 575 soldiers have been killed. They've killed 30,000 people. And they, they're looking at the balance there and saying, yeah, that's about right. They don't want to lose any soldiers, but but they don't see it the same way as well as I do, for example. Yeah, and there, there's massive concern. Um, I think it was Lloyd Austin who, who voiced this concern. He said that Israel, look, they might have a, a tactical victory, but they risk strategic defeat in the long run because Gaza will remember. There are 2.3 million people there. Um, 30,000 may have been killed, but there's more than 2 million people. There are children who will survive and they will grow up and remember the trauma um, of the last few months. Now, of course, there are people in Israel who will remember the trauma of the last few months. They will remember what Hamas did on October 7th. Um, Absolutely. The utter horror which pours out day by day. It is a milestone, I think many people are saying. Um, it is a, a brew for a future which is not going to bring peace for anyone. And uh, that is a, a concern, I think, that, that a lot of people are voicing right now. You summed it up brilliantly just then, Jonathan. It's a maelstrom. And frankly, there's no hope. Nobody can introduce to me an idea that would show hope for that part of the world. Just based on what you just said. There will be new people, kids now, who don't get killed, if they're lucky, that will grow up hating Israel, just like the kids before them and the kids before them. And there will be Israelis who will always be hurting from what happened to them. And they will hate the Palestinians and others, because you cannot, you can't go between one or another and say that's Hamas and that's not or whatever. So it is a hopeless situation. I, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't like to come up with those kinds of proclamations. But if somebody can show me how there is hope, I'd love to see it. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Paul. Jonathan Savage, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor. Boy, I hate to get into that story so quickly. 12-29 WJR. Well, here we go. Uh, Paul Eisenstein and I have had uh, differing views, uh, but I, I defer to him. He's the expert. He follows this stuff on a regular basis. I only weigh in from time to time based on my gut reaction. But he is here as editor of Headlight.News, and uh, he's here to talk about electric vehicles and a big, big story. The story about Ford Motor Company cutting the price of the 2023 Mustang Mach-E by up to $8,100. Paul, always a pleasure. Good afternoon. Welcome back. Hey, good to be with you again. You know, I have said from the beginning that the government should not be a part of this, and I can only imagine what it was like to wake up as as any one of the CEOs of the uh, 
of the big three, I still call them that, or of the great suppliers or any of the others who have had to spend billions of dollars to get ready to fulfill the government mandate of electric vehicles and then now they have the government going, well, maybe, maybe you don't have to do that. You know, you can't unring the bell. These companies have spent billions of dollars rushing into what the government told them they had to do, and now they're not. That's a sidebar well, story. Yeah, actually, Paul, uh, how often have we all complained that the government doesn't adapt to reality and change mandates? So, yes, if you want to, if you want to politicize it, we can say, oh, look, the government screwed up and they're, they're racing the backtrack. Uh, I like to think that the government in this case is actually recognizing that things didn't go quite as planned, and they're adopting as the industry has asked it to. Remember, the automakers and dealers, what, 14,000 dealers signed on to a letter asking the government to slow the required adoption rate of EVs. And guess what? The government listened. They actually are doing what was requested. They're not eliminating the standards, but they had a tough new uh, rule which they're saying, we're going to stretch that out a few years because you're telling us we can't get there. The market is telling us we can't get there. I'm actually impressed by that. We don't see government respond to reality very the often. Government, and they the, government, the government never should have been involved in the first place, telling automakers what cars they should build and well, sell. The people who buy these cars are the people who should be telling the automakers what cars they should be building because those are the ones we want to buy. But I don't want to get in yeah. an argument with you. I don't. All right. I don't. Well, I'll just say one thing. If, if, we, if we bought into that argument, we'd still be back in 1965 when those first safety standards went into effect, arguing that safety doesn't sell. Sometimes you have to have mandates to move things in the right direction. And, and the reality is, yes, EV sales have slowed down. I shouldn't say that. EV sales growth has slowed down. In other words, EV sales are still increasing, just not as fast as they were for the last four years when they increased 800%. And EV mandates helped get the, government, get the industry there. They got the industry comfortable with the idea that EVs can work. They're just not going to grow quite as fast. So mandates do work. They made it for better fuel economy. They've made for safer vehicles. And frankly, long term, they've made the, made the manufacturers actually believe that EVs can sell. But we have to adjust to now what the market is saying. I just wouldn't have wanted to wake up, I said it yesterday, as Mary Barra or as Jim Farley or as any of these people, uh, and see and see that everything they've done and spent billions of dollars on didn't necessarily need to be done. But here, let's talk about one of the, from what I know from anybody, any friends who have the Mustang Mach-E, they love that vehicle. So I'm going to say, yep. here, here's one of the most popular, just from my little world, the most popular, most beloved EVs, and yet they find themselves having to cut up to $8,100 to get rid of the 23s to make way for the 24s. Explain that to yep. me. Oh, by the way, there's also new incentives up to $12,500 on the F-150 Lightning. You know, I have one of those. I wish I had gotten that much of a deal. Uh, <laughs> well, and the $7,500 tax credit doesn't count on the Mach-E, probably because of some 
bits and pieces in the battery or something that don't meet the government standard of being made in America or something. I don't even know. Well, I like that. I like the fact that automakers have to make these things here rather than going to China. So oh, my friends, they're going to go. Paul, I could do a side bet with you, but I won't. Do you, <laughs> well, you we're going to see, Chi- think- see Chinese cars here. Oh, my we're God, We're going to yes. see EVs soon. Uh, we're going to see and- Mexican cars here because our car companies are going to have to be building more cars in Mexico with this new contract. Oh, wait a second. They've been doing that for years. Mm. Mexico went from being, I think, the number 20 largest automotive manufacturing nation in the world to something like what is it in the top five right now or even top four. Wow. Uh, it's way up there. But that, yeah, we're, we, we need an hour to go through everything we're talking about right now. <laughs> uh, I will say, again, you're making it sound like uh, Mary Barr and Jim Farley woke up and said, oh, my God, they changed the rules. Remember, they were the ones demanding the government change the rules. So when they woke up yesterday or the day before and found out that the government was delaying some of the standards, they were jumping for joy. I talked with a couple people at the automakers uh, about this, and they were like, oh, my God, they did exactly what we asked for. They don't do it very often. So they were very happy to see this pushed out. We're still going to see strong mandates. It's just going to take a few more years to get to the mandates that uh, they were originally proposing. So the industry is very happy about that. And we're going to see the industry respond. Mary Barr was saying we're going 100% electric. Well, now she's saying we're going to go 100% electrified, which will involve also bringing in plug-in hybrids. This is a new world. And the the industry and the government have to adapt to what's happening in the marketplace because it's all new. Well, here's something else that's not always the case, which shocked me when I learned this years ago, that that the OEMs don't always do what their dealers ask them to do. And yet, in this case, the dealers have been begging for plug-ins because that's what they see people coming in and asking about on the front line. And so, yes, yes, the OEMs are going to do what the dealers want, and the government apparently is going to do what the OEMs want, and then everyone's going to get criticized for not moving toward all electric and saving the country, saving the world. Well, I'll tell you what. This is one case where I look at the the environmentalists and say, guys, you've got to adapt to reality. If you try to force the market too fast, you're not going to get any of what you want because the alternative would have been rolling back the standards even more, not going faster, but even slower. And I think I think they have to adapt. Look, they, they have to they have to protest this. It's just in their it's in their mandate to continue <laughs> to demand everything happen faster, just like it's in the mandate of some people to oppose anything, any new rules. Uh, the, the reality seems to be that both the industry and the government are trying to find something in the middle that reflects what consumers are saying. And that's the good thing. We're still moving towards a world that's going to be mostly or all EVs. It's just let's adapt to the pace that makes sense. And part of that is we need to get the right stuff out there. We need to get more public chargers, and we need to drive the price down. That's what Ford did by dropping the price on the, on the Mach-E and also adding the new incentives on the Lightning. We've been seeing price cuts across the industry on EVs. Uh, Tesla kicked it off, if you remember, a year ago when they had a big price drop on, on several of their vehicles, including the Model 3 and the Model Y. 
you know, everybody's trying to find the sweet spot. What can get mainstream, not just, you know, early adopters, but the mainstream buyer to switch to electric? Well, my favorite early adopter, Paul Eisenstein, always uh, speaks his mind and shares with us, and, and we can find him as editor of Headlight.News. Look for him at Headlight.News. Paul Eisenstein, the editor. Thank you, Paulie. Good to be with you, Paul. Always a pleasure being with you as we continue in focus with Paul W. Smith, WJR 1243. Boy, here's a, a very good cause, one in great need, and they make it very easy for you to participate. The Furniture Bank of Southeastern Michigan says it's in desperate need of donations. More than 180 families are waiting for at least 2,100 items, including mattresses, box springs, dressers, dining sets, sofas. This is triple the number of families waiting for furniture compared to the same period, say, uh, in 2021. Our WJR senior news analyst, Marie Osborne, joins us with an in-depth look at the story. Good for you, Marie. Hi there, Paul. Rob Boyle is the executive director of the Furniture Bank, and he says it's their mission to make a house a home. They provide mattresses to sleep on, tables and chairs to eat off of, and dressers to store clothes to help keep a home organized. Donations, he says, are way down, and the need is way up. The families they serve are being pounded by inflation. Families in poverty transitioning from homelessness, working with child protective services, or fleeing crisis and abuse. These are families, 80% of which have household incomes of $20,000 or less. So now, when you add that inflation to your grocery bill, to your utility bill, to your rent and, and housing costs, to transportation costs, you have even less money to buy furniture. And Boyle says he sees the dignity a simple mattress can supply. I've, I've spoken to, to families and, and, and moms who, you know, they were in a homeless shelter and they were so excited to get out of the shelter and get to, into their own place. But once they got in and they realized that they couldn't afford furniture, they were more comfortable in the shelter, unfortunately, because they had a bed to sleep. And the Furniture Bank works with about 70 health and human service agencies uh, to vet the clients. Boyle says it's hard to hold down a job or do well in school if you haven't had a good night's sleep. And you can only get that, of course, with a mattress. As we start thinking about spring cleaning, Boyle says it's a good time to think about the Furniture Bank Pick up is free, and if they have to come into your house, there's a small fee. The furniture, of course, needs to be in good usable condition. And, Paul, we've got all this on our website, WJR.com, but furniture-bank.org is where you need to go, and then you can go to the donate page. Oh, this is a tough one. This is, uh, this is so sad to think of children sleeping on the floor, to think of children who do not have a bed to sleep in, and to realize that these folks that you have introduced to us, the Southeast Michigan Furniture Bank, Rob Boyle, and all the people you've talked with in doing your digging and doing a great story, uh, will actually come and pick up what you have. So they can't they couldn't really make it any easier, could they? No, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but there's always something in my garage that I'm looking at and thinking, you know, I really need to get rid of that 
rocking chair or that uh, dresser, the the set of dressers that's still in good shape. I just don't need it anymore. I mean, just it can't be better than free, right? Free no. pickup. Yeah. Right. And that's a good way for you to clean out your attic, your basement, your garage, stuff you don't need. They right. want mattresses, any size, gently used, good repair, free pickup inside or out, box springs, any size, sofas, gently used, dressers, dining and kitchen tables, mm-hmm. dining and kitchen chairs, living room chairs, coffee tables, end tables, nightstands, uh, small items. They can, they can take up to five bags or boxes of smaller housewares, such as bedding, towels, lamps, pots, pans, silverware, and other basics. They do not need clothing in this mm-hmm. case. They just need all of those things that you talked about and I just listed also. Um, and my gosh, this is like a no-brainer, as you say. This is free pickup. And this is knowing that something that you at one time thought you really needed and did and used can get another life helping another life. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this whole uh, sense of making a home for people. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, kids getting a good night's sleep so they can go to school. Parents can go to work. That people eat together at a kitchen table or their kids have a place to do their homework. Um, he, uh, Rob also talked about the eviction moratorium ending after the pandemic. And that threw a lot of people out of their apartments and out of their homes and that they're needing to reestablish themselves in other uh, housing and how badly they need the help. They speak the truth here at the Southeast Michigan Furniture Bank. No politics. They just said, though, that inflation that was ignored by the administration. Oh, and inflation is the other one. Absolutely. Inflation and the fact Mm -hmm. that rent subsidies ended has thrown a lot of people into chaos trying to furnish their homes. And now you can help them and really help yourself. You don't have to call those 1-800-CALL-JUNK or whatever those commercials <laughs> I see. Because your junk is not necessarily junk to other people in great need. Now, obviously, they ask for gently used or in good repair. They're, they're not looking for junk, frankly. But they are looking for things that you aren't using anymore. And this is an excellent opportunity for you to donate it for such a good cause. Where do they go again to get this? I know there's Furniture Bank Michigan, but what else? Uh, well, there's a phone number as well that we, but you know, we don't like doing that on the radio, 248-332-1300. But we're going to have this on our website. It's right on our first page at WJR.com. Okay. You'll see the story there and you can click on it. I made sure that we put the uh, website and the phone number there so you'd have it. All right, then I'm just going to say WJR.com yep. because that's the place to go whenever you hear a story like this. At least when Maria's involved, we know she's going to put it up there for you to see. WJR.com for the Southeast Michigan Furniture Bank. This should be a really feel-good situation for you if you need to uh, do away with things that you don't need anymore and realize that there are a lot of people who do need what you don't. Thanks, Ree. Thank you. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne here in Focus with Paul W. Smith as we continue on this Wednesday, some say hump day, with another hour of interesting people to talk with and to reveal to you information you wouldn't get elsewhere. So good to be with you. Middle of the week. Happy to be here on this uh, Wednesday, February 21st. And a lot going on. 
big, big uh, event for us starting Thursday afternoon, tomorrow afternoon, and then Friday, starting bright and early in the morning uh, with all the good stuff coming up with our uh, Salvation Army Radiothon, Bed and Bread Truck Radiothon. So we're, uh, we're excited for that, getting ready for that. And uh, I know you're ready for that, uh, David Rieger, correct? You're going to be there all day, I think. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we will be ready and there, yes. I used to do the morning show and then come back in the evening <laughs> and close it out uh, with Dick Purton. And uh, I'm glad Guy is doing that now. It makes for a very long day, and you're in for a long day, and I appreciate the uh, work and all the people behind the scenes that don't always get on the air or get the uh, the credit, if you will, for doing all the work they do. This is a great radio station. This is an unusual radio station run by three uh, very good people. Steve Finiteri, our major overall boss for Cumulus in this uh, Michigan area, Michigan market. Ann Thomas, who's been here longer than anybody, who is our now program manager, program director, if you will. Now, I shouldn't I shouldn't forget about Mike Wheeler because he oversees all the stations, too, in the Cumulus group, if you will, in here in Ann Arbor. And, and then, of course, Jeff Marcero, another good Monroe kid who is uh, in charge of all of the sales, which is how we do what we do and how we're able to afford to do things like give up an entire day of programming for the Salvation Army Radiothon, the Bed and Bread Truck Radiothon, coming up starting Thursday afternoon with information Friday morning with live broadcasts. And I hope you can join us for that and we'll help out. Much in the same way of, of what we just talked about with the Michigan Furniture Bank. And there are so many stories like that that you, you wonder why, how, in this great country of ours, with such incredible opportunity, and apparently limitless money to spend on illegal migrants and on countries that are picking battles and infights that maybe they didn't pick, but somehow we need to underwrite them. I say, let's take care of our own people first. When we can say that all of our people are fairly well taken care of, then if we've got leftover money to do other things, okay, let's do that. I have a story uh, that uh, I can't read right now. I saw it on uh, maybe 60 Minutes or CBS News. or I don't know where I saw it. But it was a school bus driver in Kentucky who made a first grader's day with an act of kindness. And I, I, I if I start talking about this right now, I will lose it and I don't want to lose it right now in the middle of this beautiful Wednesday but I will get around to talking to you about a story about a bus driver how much do bus drivers make uh, Rieger any idea um no I don't know how bus how much bus drivers I don't think it's a lot of money I would say not enough not enough and yet this bus driver saw the six-year-old boy on his bus who was lamenting uh, sad depressed because the next day was pajama day at school. Everybody was to wear their pajamas. And this little boy 
did not have pajamas. So the bus driver went out and bought the little boy pajamas so that he wouldn't be embarrassed the next day at school. I can't believe I got that far through it, but that's I'm going to stop there. Cool bus driver. Cool bus driver. Cool American. Cool person who doesn't make very much money spending his own money to help this little boy. So what the hell is going on in our country that we have billions of dollars for people who don't deserve a penny from us and we got a little boy who doesn't, the family can't even afford pajamas. We got people that the Michigan Furniture Bank has to help so they have mattresses and don't have to sleep on the floor. What the hell is going on? Seriously. I, I really don't know. All right, let's get off that right now. Here's a good story. Uh, Delta Airlines, you brought this up. Did you tell me? You must have told me about this. The Delta uh, was uh, adding a special flight for the solar eclipse. Yeah, right, yeah we talked about that? that yesterday, yeah. So it's in less than two months, and Delta is tweaking its flight schedules to allow 130 lucky travelers the chance to see the event from a 30,000-foot vantage point. On April 8th, the moon will pass between the sun and earth, completely blocking the sun's face. The spectacle will be visible to more than 31 million Americans along a path stretching from Texas to parts of the Midwest and sections of the East Coast. For close to a year now, TPG, who's TPG? What am I missing there? TPG has warned of sky-high hotel prices at destinations along the path as travelers try to secure their chance to witness the eclipse from the ground. But here they are, God bless Delta, they're talking about that special flight April 8th to to watch it from uh, the air. It is okay. a pretty cool story, although I have to admit I'm not sure about the, the fascination with uh, looking at an eclipse, but okay. Well, I mean, neither here nor there. People have still, always still, been, still, people still, have been still fascinated. Still a cool story. Yeah, and people have been fascinated with eclipses for hundreds of years. Yeah. You know, they they cavemen looked up and they were like, what's going on? And nobody told them to wear the sunglasses or the protective. <laughs> exactly, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right. Well, they they were give they they told the people who were taking that flight to wear special glasses. Oh, I know. Article, I, yeah. know. <laughs> I just got a kick out of that myself. I don't know why it just came to me. Anyway, how's this one grab you? Here we go again. I that's my job. Even though it's relentless positive radio, we have to cover these things that come up that are that are I told you so ish by a lot of people. A massive COVID vaccine study has linked the vaccine to increased risk of certain heart, blood, and brain conditions. I saw Are that. you kidding yeah, me? I saw that story. Are you kidding me? How many times have people said that and been poo-pooed and told to shut up? Shut up. Sit down and shut up. The Global COVID Vaccine Safety Project found small increases in conditions such as Guillain-Barr syndrome. Is that how you pronounce that? Guillain-Barr. Bell's palsy. Myrocarditis. Researchers note, here's the addendum, researchers note the increased risk from the vaccine is still much smaller than the risk of contracting COVID-19. 
Nearly 100 million cases worldwide were included in the study. I, isn't that something? Again, a government rush and control. Somebody actually said to me, I never have looked at it this way, but somebody said to me the other day, yesterday, I guess is yesterday or two weeks ago could be the other day for me. So the other day, somebody said to me, well, we've got an election coming up. Look for another big COVID something or some kind of virus that we're going to need another uh, vaccine for. Seriously, do you look at it that way? No. I've never looked at it they that way. They did what they had to do. That's what I don't understand. I, I get people. They did what they thought yeah, they yeah, had to do no, is yeah, what we want to believe. You know, I don't, don't get me started on this argument because it's just, it's, it's silly. There were so many people that died. Uh, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. When they, and that we learned things we didn't know before the Chinese did this to Listen, us. Yeah, no, we did, <laughs> we did what we had to do because we didn't know. It, it right, was all right. part of a learning process. Who knew putting them on respirators would be a death sentence? Nobody knew that. Nobody knew that. They they got the vaccine out. They got the vaccine out to to protect us. Okay, it was yeah. it had to, it had to be done. Okay, I, I'm glad you feel strongly about this. So, are you looking forward to voting for Joe Biden in this next election? <laughs> I don't think you're going to get a chance to, but I hope you know. I hope that you. I hope that you're going to be okay with There's, that. Well, that's that's the that's the main problem, and the music's playing. But that's the main problem with the whole COVID vaccine is because it became political, and it didn't have to. No, and I and I frankly, I blame President Trump for even politicizing it more and being Superman and oh, twelve doctors poking me and ever and somebody had to whisper in his ear. Uh, Mr. President, the average person doesn't have 12 doctors. Anyway, that's another story for another time. But we've got time, and we continue in focus with Paul W. Smith at WJR. Well, let's check in with Fox News correspondent WJR contributor Ryan Schmelz for something that is uh, underway as of today. will run through the weekend, so planned. Conservative activists gathering outside Washington for the annual Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, this week. Are you there, Ryan, or checking in on it? Oh, no, I've been waiting to see if James Biden's going to come out and take questions from the press here on Capitol Hill. <laughs> you know, he'd be a great body double for his brother. He does look a lot like him. It's, it's like he looks like uh, President Biden and one other person. I'm trying to figure figure out who it is who the other person might be hmm yeah well yeah they were quite a team in philadelphia when uh, joe biden as vice president wanted to help jim biden get a house in philly and at the luncheon was hunter biden i've told the story so many times i'm not telling it again about some of their shenanigans they wanted to do in real estate which made me believe that if they would cheat in real estate they would cheat in anything but that's another story i'm not going in it right now again but i would like to hear what you think is going to be happening at the CPAC that used to be kind of a big tent event for the Republican Party with conservatives of all stripes convening for the annual gathering. But it <clears throat> seems now it's transformed really into kind of a kind of a largely pro former President Trump space yeah. with little room yeah, for I, dissent. Right. Well, I remember back when Gary Johnson was speaking at CPAC, and he was de pretty much the declared libertarian candidate at the time, yet he was allowed to speak at that conference. So that kind of shows you how 
far and wide across the conservative spectrum CPAC used to be. And now, yes, it is very much a very pro-Trump and loyal to Trump uh, convention. And, you know, that then it goes to show CPAC has already endorsed former President Trump. They're not even going to do their their usual straw poll, which they're kind of known for. Instead, the straw poll is going to be focused on who uh, conference goers think former President Trump's running mate should be. So that's kind of what we're looking out for. Yeah. How do you think um, the majority of people at this event will react and treat uh, Nikki Haley? When she's well, like, she's supposed to speak Saturday, it's hard to know. Uh, it, it, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think it's probably going to be a negative reception just because she is taking and, and is increasingly taking a hardline stance against the former president and continue to be critical of her. And he hasn't really held back his criticism either. So uh, I would imagine it's not going to go well. She's critical of him. He's critical of her. Just to get that clear out there. Yes. Um, I, I suspect a, a word they won't uh, use very often would be the word being abortion, which has been a pretty, uh, I guess, a losing issue for Republicans since Roe v. Wade was overturned in 2022. So I doubt they want to bring that up because I don't think they, they want to go down any new roads. What do you think? Well, I do believe they have some pro-life speakers who are an abortion, anti-abortion activist who are scheduled to speak there. So Yes, I mean, it's going to be an, an issue where pro-life uh, issues are brought to the table. Uh, I don't know how far they're going to go in terms of what they're advocating for, whether they'll go down that road of a national abortion ban, which based off polling data we've seen is, is not exactly particularly popular. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it will be interesting. And then they have that, uh, I guess, the straw poll that I would hope, or I don't hope, but I would think that the Trump team would pay attention to who the people gathered there think should be his vice president, whether it uh, be, uh, I, I've always liked this South Dakota governor, Christy Noem. I uh, don't really know her too well, but there's some other people there. And, and I guess that's what the straw poll is going to be. In some ways, yes. They're, they're pretty much just mainly focusing on who they think should be former President Trump's VP. Uh, and, and, you know, how much he's going to listen to this, I'm not quite sure. I think he even said with during our town hall with Laura Ingram that, Hey, you know, I, I've looked at the numbers. People don't pick based on a vice president. They pick based on uh, the president, and I'm the, and I'm the candidate for president, so that's who they're going to pick. And so I, I don't think, based off that, it, he's probably not going to listen too much to what people think about who the VP should be because, you know, there have been situations where there were obvious candidates out there, and next thing you know, somebody picks a, a relatively – I hate to use the word nobody, but somebody who was very much under the radar. You know, John McCain with Sarah Palin. Uh, George Bush with Dan Quayle, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And and there's been plenty of times when we did not see a certain somebody coming. And next thing you know, they're one of the biggest names in politics. Well, I I will say this. I mean, given what has happened with President Joe Biden and his vice president, uh, somehow I got to believe that uh, that everybody should pay a little closer attention to who is picked as vice president, because believe me, if uh, if. President Biden had picked somebody better than Kamala Harris. Uh, some, well, maybe he knew he shouldn't pick her because they would have put her in place if it were a better person. I mean, I don't know. But it certainly the fact that it is this person as vice president has affected a lot of some of the consideration of this president going on to a second term or not. 
Well, I mean, there certainly is some some polling data to back maybe some of that sentiment up. You know, certainly we've heard Republicans on the campaign trail. I think Bernie Moreno is running for uh, Senate in Ohio. Back when I was covering him, I believe in, gosh, what was it, two years ago? So not that long ago. But, but he would always say, you know, well, I don't really think we should impeach uh, President Biden because that means Kamala Harris becomes president. And I remember certain people saying that back when Barack Obama was president. So, yeah, there certainly is that that argument that, you know, be careful what you wish for, because this is what the Democratic Party would look like if, in fact, President Biden was removed from office, which essentially would be that Kamala Harris would become, you know, the president of the country and then the face essentially of the Democrats. Which I can't find a Democrat who thinks that'd be a good idea. You know, uh, you do hear a lot of the rumblings of, of if, if President Biden wants to be replaced, that, it, you know, some people have thrown Gavin Newsom's name out there. And there have been some other names that have been thrown out there, too. Our you know, governor. Our governor. Yeah. Yeah. Whitmer. Yes, that's yep. correct. Yeah. She's one of the kind of the rising stars in the Democrat Party, especially after she won reelection. So, you know, those, those names get floated out. But every single one of those people that they float out there has continually shot down these rumors. Whitmer has shot them down. Newsom shot them down, and so is Harris. Well, all right. Um, Very good, Ryan. It's always a pleasure having you here. Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor, Ryan Schmelz. Talk again soon. Sounds good, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. 129 WJR. Focus with Paul W. Smith. So nice being with you. Uh, Comfortable uh, temperatures. I'm on my way home finally uh, today, and... Good Lord willing, uh, they're back in the studio at my house. And then uh, and then Friday, we will be at, uh, at uh, Salvation Army for that very special broadcast. Actually, uh, everything begins tomorrow afternoon and then Friday, the broadcast itself taking place. Um, and, you know, we're looking to raise a lot of money, like $1.8 million uh, by any... Uh, measure that is a lot of money so uh, we know you're going to answer the call you always have we so appreciate you for uh, doing that okay we'll get more into that as we go along tomorrow we'll remind you and then uh, and then uh, friday morning that's where we're going to be uh and we look forward to that first thing with mike parsons and renee vitale uh, from five to six jr morning with guy lloyd and jamie from six to nine All talk with uh, Tom and Kevin, 9 to 11. And then we've got extra duty for our show. Focus with Paul W. Smith and Chris Renwick from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Friday. The Mitch Album Show, 2 to 4. Then Guy comes back with Dick Purton and the Purton family from 4 to 7, hopefully with the good news uh, culminating at the end of the day for all the work uh, during the uh, day. Here we go. Susan Tompor, speaking of good people doing good things, personal finance columnist, Detroit Free Press. And Susan, is it just me, or is fraud running rampant? Well, apparently it is running rampant. Um, A new report came out. This is a Sentinel Network report that's issued by the FTC, but it is a long list of uh, contributors, you know, complaints on the state level, complaints to the Better Business Bureau, complaints to other agencies, um, and it added up to $10 billion in losses um, in 2023. That's a lot of money, $10 billion. $10, <laughs> $10 billion, billion stolen from people. 
Absolutely, and stolen, and I'd love to know where it went personally, um, Who who's getting all this, because that's a heck of a lot of money. Um, and half of it went to investment scams, according to the FTC. So um, the median loss is about $500, but when you're looking at investment-related scams, the median loss is about $8,000. And, of course, it could be much higher. Um, so consumers are really you know, facing quite a few challenges uh, uh, business and job opportunity scams uh, showing a little bit of an uptick, and, uh, and especially uh, you know last year, and the at, the median there loss was two thousand two hundred dollars. Uh, so sometimes you think you're getting a job opportunity, um, and they're asking you to send money. I know I interviewed a woman a few years back who um, thought she was paying, or, or I don't know how it was they were going to send her some equipment, and she needed to uh, accept a check and cash that check and then forward the money via Bitcoin. Uh, she was out quite a bit of money, a woman in Oakland County, young woman, um, you know, who thought it sounded logical until she was driving home from the liquor store in her area and thought, why did I just send all that money uh, by Bitcoin? Um, and, of course, it didn't make any sense, but the scammers will uh, get you into their ether, if you will, and, uh, you know, you've got a job opportunity, you've got a way to make money, uh, one of the ways on the romance scams now is they'll alert you to if uh, this, you know, so-called love of your life that you meet online says, I can help you uh, invest money. Um, that would be an, a good way to stop talking to that person. <laughs> wow. You know, and, that, and that's a big one. This this love thing is like out of control, which indicates, well, sadly, it indicates there are a tremendous number of very lonely people. Yeah, and lonely people, and also it's just it is the way we meet people these days. You know, there is so much, uh, you know, interaction. You know, you connect with old high school friends. You, uh, you know, talk to old coworkers. There's so much interaction that we do have uh, by social media that, you know, people we wouldn't be connecting with. So some of it seems like it might make sense that you could meet somebody or find a pet. That's another one we've written about online, the pet scams. Um, oddly enough, business imposters are really spiking, and I wanted to make sure to alert people to that. What does and, that mean, business imposters? <laughs> well, they're going to take the name of the big company, and they're going to pretend that they're that big company. Um, they might pretend they're a name of a big bank uh, and say they're the fraud department from your bank. Um, and then you're going to think, oh, they're trying to help me out when they're really trying to engineer a way to get you to transfer money out of your bank account uh, to them. And it will be very hard to uh, get it back, even though you were tricked into it. The rules are sort of uh, stacked against the consumer, if you will. In that moments that ago, you should know. Moments ago, Susan Tompor, I just erased something that claimed it was DocuSign, that made no sense whatsoever, but claimed to be in my company. But down at the bottom, it says, "Warning: This came from outside the company." So that one was easy to get rid of. But these days you have to be so careful because companies are trying to trick you into making a mistake because they're so worried about you making a mistake and and compromising their whole system. Right, right. So uh, that's another issue. But the DocuSign is a good point to to bring up right now. I wrote a piece a couple weeks ago on tax scams, 
and uh, the um, CPAs were being targeted, and one of the uh, enrolled agents that I talked to uh, said that, you know, she's noticed a lot of more scams relating to uh, signing a document, you know, getting a signature, an e-signature, and so that's another thing you have to be very careful with. Um, she says she doesn't usually request those things, and, and that's another one where they'll say it's urgent, urgent. Um, yeah. Usually these things are not urgent, so that's a red flag. Um, you know, oddly enough, you just have to stop what you're doing and call somebody who you have the phone number for, not looking up the phone number, because, of course, if we look up the phone number, the scammers might have a fake phone number up there, and you think you're talking to the real people, but you're talking to a scammer. Doesn't this just all sound so crazy? I, even it as is. I'm saying it, it just sounds ludicrous. Susan, but it's crazy, but we need people like you, the best, telling us about it. Susan Tompor, personal finance columnist, Detroit Free Press. And by the way, how good are they? Pretty good to get $10 billion because I just saw a story. Maybe you saw it. If not, look it up. you get a kick out of it. Somebody who was in your line of business, either was a financial columnist or something like that, just got taken. She look that one up. was an expert in this area, and she got hoodwinked, and they took $50,000 from her. Oh, and this Lord. Is, this is what she does for a living. Yeah, and as I always say, the victim, it just could be anybody. It can really be anybody. Um, you know, too often I think people say, oh, you know, these people were greedy or they're this or they're that. I'm, I'm smarter than that. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm I'll have to that, look that one up. Look that one up. It was a, a woman, either a reporter, columnist, whatever. I just saw it the other day, the famous the other day. Um and uh, and and she got hoodwinked out of fifty thousand dollars, and she's supposedly an expert in this area. So that's how good these people are. And it bothers me. I bring it up every time that we don't do enough to stop people from doing this. For example, any of us who've had our credit cards stolen before or our information, I say to the credit card company, there are cameras everywhere. This person who tried to use my credit card in Duluth is on camera somewhere. I will travel at my own expense when you catch them, and I will press charges to the fullest extent of the law. You know how many times I've heard back from the yeah. credit card companies? <laughs> Never! Yeah, it's absolutely... It's cheaper for them to take the loss, and that's bad because the bad people know that too. Uh, and it's also, I think, important with some of these bank transfer scams for, for there to be more friction at the point of transfer. You know, maybe it's more inconvenient for the consumer, but uh, I'll take more inconvenience at any time. You know, I'm not transferring money, you know, by, by some of these apps. So, um, But, you know, they still can get you even if you don't do that. So yep. good luck on that, you know. Thanks but for your help. I, uh, next time we talk, I, I hope you'll find that story. If I find anything more about it, I will forward it to you, but I, I swear it was like on, on television in a newscast or something. Susan Tompor, personal finance columnist extraordinaire. You can read her in the Detroit Free Press and hear her here from time to time, which we greatly appreciate. Thanks, Susan. Say hi to the family. Thank you. We continue at 143 on WJR. Well, that was a quick two hours, that's for sure. Happy to be with you Monday through Friday from... Noon until 2. Now, I know that's not always possible because you've got things you do from noon to 2, but you can always listen in by, well, first of all, you can stream us live. That you know, either at WJR.com, Alexa, Google Home, any of those places you usually do that. 
Get the WJR app as well. And then for our show, noon to two, if you can't be here then, you can be with us at any time if you go to the great voice of the Great Lakes. The Great Voice of the Great Lakes. Uh, and that's where you'll find our podcast. You'll find all the show's podcasts there. And you can listen at any time. And it does matter. Uh, we really need you to tune in and listen. It counts, so to speak. Uh, so I want you to know that. So today, where I would usually be handing off to Chris Renwick, he apparently has the day off. I hope he's fine. But uh, JR Afternoon will be... JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick with Marie Osborne in for Chris Renwick. And she's already been with us today, and it's always nice to have you on a couple of times, Marie. Yeah, just like everybody else, doing more than one job today, uh, Paul W. <laughs> I just had that conversation with somebody. It's astonishing to me what's happened. Now, we have a tendency to look through our own eyes and our own business, but the fact is it's happened everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's happened everywhere. Fewer people making less money, doing much more work. It it doesn't make sense. Well, you know what? In our case, I think we're dealing with some illnesses and, you know, just trying to cover the bases. So that's that's what's up with that. Paul, do you remember Marianne Williamson? Oh, very well. We used to have her on the show quite a bit. Well, she's going to be on the show today. So she's going to be with us a little bit later on. You know, she was a uh, presidential candidate. She dropped out of the race. This was her second time that she ran for president. I covered her back when she had her church here in Warren, uh, the mega church. I don't know if you say her. Marianne, did you say Wilson? Williamson. Oh, Williamson. Yeah, Marianne Williamson. I I, I wrote down Wilson. I, I don't know why I did that. Yeah. We, I never interviewed her, as, that I, as far as I can recall, as a presidential candidate. I interviewed her years ago when she was doing, like, she was a psychologist or something, right? Right. Well, you know, she was a big-time author. Oprah, uh, Oprah Winfrey really put her back, uh, put her on the map with her book called Return to Love and just her whole philosophy of life. She's a very spiritual person, so she talks a lot about that in her books, but that's how she made her name. Uh, then she came to Michigan, actually, and opened this mega church uh, or took over this church, we should say, in Warren and um, ran that for a while. And then she she moved away. I think she's on the West Coast now. I'll talk with her when she comes in and ask her that. But, you know, decided to make try to make a dent in the presidential election. I just I'm curious as to what makes people run for president when they know they don't have a the party's backing or b you know like a lot of um name recognition or a lot of a groundswell of support i'm curious about that well that'll be interesting yeah because uh i wonder if she would say she knew she didn't have a lot of support and didn't have a chance i wonder if she would even think that i, I yeah i i don't know if she would think that you know or if she would say uh ah, I, I may be able to do that. So I just looked her up to catch up with where she is. Marianne Williamson, official presidential campaign website. But it says she, she one book, A Return to Love. Right, that's the one we mentioned, yeah. And then Illuminata plus 39 more. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of books. She's a prolific writer, that's for sure. And again, always this message of spirituality and how, you know, we can really be better people. So I'm I'm looking forward to talking with her. I, again, I talked with her many years ago for a story that I did here at WJR on worship and how people worship. And uh, she was very interesting. So I'm going to talk with her again today. 
and uh, we know we're happy. You know, we're happy to have her on board too to sure. talk about that. Here's something I know. I know you're going to want to know about if you don't know it already. Get ready for forty dollar luggage fees, baggage fees to carry on to flights. Yeah, I saw that. American Airlines uh, increases were at Alaska Air, JetBlue. Forty, 40 bucks dollars. for the first bag, forty five for the second bag. Holy smokes! Uh, As that- if- as if we needed it to get more expensive. I, yeah. Now, that's that's not Delta. Delta is the official airline of, of the Paul W. Smith show <laughs> and family. I don't. It may happen with them, too. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, they are not listed here, but these other airlines. And, you know, the, the thing is with the airline industry often, uh, you know, uh, they follow each other. So if one does something, you're going to see others follow suit. Um, oh, they're yeah. blaming this, of course, on high cost of fuel. Well, I, I don't know. I, you know, that whole game is is a game. They do futures with fuel. The yeah. fuel they're using today, if you did it right, you if you gambled right, you bought it a year or two ago. Exactly. I don't know how it works, but it's exactly. futures. Yeah. So I, I really, even though we say gas prices have gone down for us, then there's our gas buddy who says actually they've gone up, and you know who knows what it is. Uh, here's the thing we know. And it goes back to what you and I discussed. Um, fewer people doing more work. It's uh, it's fewer people having to make more money because mm-hmm. all of our businesses are tied in with the stock market. And if the stock market is involved with your business, if you are concerned about your stock, the only thing that goes well in the stock market is if it goes up. So like they say, if your stock was 500 bucks a share, the stock market wishes you were at 100 and then the next year at 200, and then the next year at 300, and then the next year at 400 because they want to see growth. Mm-hmm. Instead of, I say, well, why not 500 bucks a share right off the top? Anyway, and we're out of time. You're getting ready to do your show. And uh, I'm sure you're going to be looking for Starbucks with the new release they have in honor of Lunar New Year. How's this sound? Braised pork latte. No, thanks. No, meaning hard, hard no on that one. Hard no on that. Lunar New Year or not. And they say they're only starting it off at stores in China. They can have it. They deserve that. Stand by for news. JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick with the one and only Marie Osborne sitting in. On your way to making each and every day count. Each day is a gift. Come on out and make it one. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Regards, Paul W. Smith.